0: Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy!
1: Well, thank you, Rod. It is really good to be here this morning. I have to say my wife and I have very much enjoyed our time here at Sardis, and it's just because of the kind of people you are. Uh, there is acceptance, which we feel. There is genuine care. And I would also say this. There is a, a passion to see other people find Jesus. And where churches have a cause greater than themselves, like this church does, there is generally a tremendous unity and an encouragement of each other to go forward with God. So thanks for being you. Uh, This morning, uh, Rod asked me to bring a message on how God uses our stories to help us bring others to Jesus. And as my scriptural anchor, I'd like to uh, choose a passage. I figured I couldn't go wrong if I picked the text that Rod had previously picked So Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and it's that passage there in the beginning of Acts where the last words of Jesus actually before he goes back to heaven, I know usually it's the Great Commission, but these were actually the last words. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I I read that slowly. Uh, To be a witness. I mean, that word witness is from the Greek word martes. It means, I'll give you the technical definition here, it means a legal or historical spectator who can swear to what he has seen. But the interesting thing I found is that word martes is also the origin of the English word martyr. And it came to describe someone who told the truth about their experience with Jesus and would not recant even in the face of death. And as a martyr they died for not recanting or taking back the experience that they'd had with Jesus. So if I can just summarize it here very, very quickly, what is a witness? And this is the foundation for what we're going to be talking about this morning. To be a witness of Jesus is simply to be one who tells the story of their experience with him. And here's the wonderful thing. We all love stories. And whether you realize it or not, we all tell stories. Even the quietest among you tell stories to your children and your grandchildren. That's why we love the movies because there's a story. And even when this morning, the way to try to convey to you what God is doing, it was a story from Rand. Stories are natural. They're, 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 the, they're the way we're made. And there's a Native American proverb that says, tell me the facts and I'll learn. Tell me the truth and I'll believe. But tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever. Let me read that again. Tell me the facts and I'll learn. Tell me the truth and I'll believe. But tell me a story. And it will live in my heart forever. You see, there's a few things about stories. And really, this is what witnesses do, is they tell the story of what they have seen and experienced. The first thing I want you to notice is that stories... Whoops, went backwards. I'm getting used, to, getting used to this thing. Stories grab people's attention in a way that facts and explanations do not. A story will trump the best argument that some intellectual giant will pose for you when they're trying to say that what you believe isn't true. A story the truth will it every time. Another thing, stories engage your emotions. You, how how can I put this? Uh, They tend to draw you in and connect you at a heart level. You feel them, you don't just hear them. Another thing, stories connect us to the people that we're talking to. When we share our own real life stories, our friends feel that they get to know us as authentic people People who have lives outside the church. People who have struggled. People who have problems. People in whom God has made a difference. And there's one last thing, and it's also the most important thing, I think, is stories, whether you realize it or not, they change you without you even being aware of it. They change you. Let me illustrate, when I was young, which, well, I don't think it was that long ago, but others think otherwise. When I was young, I used to visit my great uncle Jim. Grew up in Prince Rupert, but once a year we'd come down and we'd visit uh, the family we had in Cloverdale. And that's where, well, I won't go there with Rod, but anyways, I I can remember that in the evenings, I would sometimes sit with my uncle Jim as he did back in the days before internet and all those things with his newspaper. And he would sit at the kitchen table and open up his newspaper, and he would read that paper, the province from cover to cover. (laughs) But as he read, we would often talk and the talk would be stories of our family's history. A family that had come to faith in dark times on the prairies. And I remember one evening he told me a story that I'd never forgotten and I never will. And it happened during the Great Depression. That family had been starved out of the dry lands in southern Alberta on the prairies. My, my grandfather had been killed in a tragic farming accident leaving my grandmother with a six-month-old baby, and my Uncle Tom. My, that granddaughter, or that, uh, that daughter was my mother. My grandmother and her two brothers in such dire circumstances just put whatever shekels they had together, along with my great-grandparents. They sold their collective farms, that weren't worth a whole lot, and they managed to get enough money together so that they could move to BC, and they bought a farm at the corner of Bowes Road and Pacific Highway in what is Cloverdale. They bought a poultry farm, 10 acres. They knew nothing about poultry, but they couldn't continue to do the hard work of grain farming. They'd been there about a year, Uncle Jim told me, when they noticed they were losing a few birds. Now those chickens were all that they had, and the eggs that they produced was what they lived on. And they were worried. I I can still see the look on my great Uncle Jim's face as he, he went on to say that it got so bad that every day they went out to the barn Every day, there were dead chickens. Every morning at breakfast, the number of dead were tallied. Jim, Charlie, my other great-uncle, and my grandmother were very concerned. They, They were very anxious. They consulted with the neighbors who had birds. No one seemed to know They looked to the Ministry of Agriculture, but there was no help there. This was the middle of the Great Depression. There was no help. And the chickens kept dying. (laughs) And I remember one night, Jim went to bed and he he said to me, he said, I just couldn't sleep. He says, I I was so desperate. He says, I couldn't sleep. I, I thought, where is God? I got up, he said. I know I was desperate. I grabbed my Bible, but I wanted to hear something from God. And he says, So I just opened my Bible, and he says, This isn't the thing to do, David. He says, But I, I just put my finger down where I opened it. <laughs> and this was the verse that I read. If when evil, it's old King James, okay? It's really good in the old King James. He says, if when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, and then thou wilt hear and help. He said... I cannot tell you, he says, I just fell asleep that night with peace. And he says, I slept like I hadn't slept for weeks. He says, I slept right through chores. And he, got, he was coming down for breakfast and Charlie was coming in. And they're sitting there at the breakfast table and Charlie says, well, Jim, how many dead do you think there were this morning? And Jim looked at him and smiled and he says, none. And Charlie says, how did you know? Jim says, Well, God kind of told me last night. And from that day on, not another chicken died. I'm listening to this from my great uncle Jim, and I am just blown away. Now, let me just jerk you back to some reality here. Compare that story with the proposition. God will meet your needs. What sticks? Somebody says, God will meet your needs. Or you hear the story. What sticks? The proposition or the story? God will meet your needs. That is a proposition. A declaration of fact. It's true. But by itself, it doesn't have a lot of impact. It's just an abstract assertion. Jesus died for you. Abstract assertion. To be meaningful, it must be given the body and blood of story. And that story, I got to tell you this morning, that story, along with the experiences of God's provision that my father told me as I was growing up, totally changed my perspective on life and material things. In fact, it shaped my, 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 my life in terms of how I view material things and possessions. And we have never had much, but I gotta tell you in all the years of growing up, my dad, we were below the poverty line, but we never feared. We were never afraid. The, the tithe always went in first, regardless of what it looked like. God would provide, we do. Why? Uncle Jim, dad were witnesses. They told the story. But you say, I don't have those kind of stories. Yes, you do. If you have experienced the grace of Jesus in some small measure or great measure, Most of us, it's in great measure. We have these stories. Now, I'll grant to you that when some people tell their stories, they leave you unmoved. But I wanna say God has given you stories that can change others' lives if you hold them right. Let me introduce to you what I call an influence continuum. Don't know if you can see that but hopefully the words are big enough. Key to telling your story is something that I would call spiritual authority. In in our culture, we tend to think that the people of influence whose stories count the most, are, you know, those people with charisma. You know, they, they walk into the room and you just know they're there. They're the presence. We tend to think the people whose stories count and go far are the extroverts. Or, barring that, in our culture we would say, no, the people of real influence whose stories count, they're the ones that are in position. They're our politicians. They are our doctors, our lawyers, our pastors. Uh, These are the ones that have influence, whose stories count. Or beyond that, we might think, no, uh, if you're not into that kind of thing, you might be an educator. No, those who have education and perspective, these are the ones whose stories count. Now, I want to say that all of these things are very wonderful and very good, and they may be very helpful, but in God's kingdom, they are not that important. It is spiritual authority that makes the difference. And you say, well, Dave, what is that? And the simplest way I can say it is this. A person of spiritual authority is a person that you sense knows God. My grandmother knew God. My Uncle Jim knew God. You know what I mean? Now, some years ago, I was working with a church in the interior of British Columbia and it had really lost its way and people were quarreling and fighting amongst themselves. They, they forgot. They forgot that they had the greatest news in all the world to share. And they were caught up in themselves. And we had some great times talking together and working through the, some of the issues, identifying them, getting honest with ourselves. And after we'd spent some time in this mode of listening to God and getting honest, I, I sent them away and I asked them to pray and pray to God this, what are you saying to us at this time in our story? You gotta, I gotta tell you people, when, when you get honest with God and then you go away and you ask, what are you saying to us? God usually says something, says something very powerful. And in this case, there was, it was no different. They came back and they had passages of scriptures to share. They had words of wisdom that they sensed God had impressed on their hearts. And we put those things together. But before we could even get halfway through, there was this little 85-year-old lady. There's about 25 of us that had gathered in this little group. This 85-year-old lady says, I think I heard something from the Lord. And she'd written it down. And when she started to speak, I'm going to tell you, you could have heard a pin drop in that place. It was still. And as she spoke, the only way I can describe it, it was like God was talking. And people started to weep and repent. And and when she finished, nothing more needed to be said. We'd heard. It was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was quite a moving time. And I remember going out at the break time and, and talking with the pastor of the church and I said, Henry, what? who is that woman? I said, she must have been engaged in your church for years and, and has had profound profile. And, and... <laughs> he smiled, no, he said, that's Dora. I said, so, uh, surely she's, she has some stature in this church. And, and I, see, I said, what are her roles that she's played? He said, oh, well, actually, Dora's had a pretty tough life. He said, um, her husband was a doctor and he had schizophrenia. And, and it was pretty challenging in those days. And uh, so she, she was preoccupied at home a lot. And then when she could, she would teach Sunday school and... And she would help in the kitchen. I said, well, Henry, what happened in there? And I'll never forget. He's just a a regular pastor. He looks at me. I wouldn't say just. He was a good regular pastor. (laughs) And he looked at me and he smiled and he says, oh, Dave, he says, simple. Dora knows God. You know people like that. There are many in this room. You just know they know God. And when they speak at times, it's just like God has spoken. There is a story in this room for every failure. There is a story in this room for every sin, for every heartbreak, for every decision, for every opportunity. I, I've, I've met you already. I've sensed your presence and the power of Christ in your authentic, humble lives. Spiritual authority. So it's not all these extra fancy stuff that gives us, shall we say, that makes our stories um, effective if you want to put it that way our our influence is a result of spiritual authority and spiritual authority is a result of character and character I'm going to go right on to it is usually a result of crises or testing what do the scriptures say you know so many of them, but let me just give you James 1, 2, and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Hmm. Now, just because you have a crisis in your life, or a testing. Be they crises of decision, crises of suffering, testing of values. Just because you have those things, they come into everybody's life, it doesn't mean you will have spiritual authority. Have you noticed that there are two kinds of people that you encounter in your time of difficulty or crisis? whatever that might be, there are the nice people, you know, the nice Christians. They reach down to you. They sympathize with you. They are nice. You know, they're the ones that'll say, oh, David, you know, when God closes a door, he always opens a window. And you just want to nice, but then there are those who you know, you just know they get it, you know they've been where you are, they are not above you, they are with you, and they embody the presence of God, I remember Stan Wilby, some of you might have heard of him, but he was a member of a church that I pastored in, uh, a number of years ago, and he was our member of parliament for Delta. And uh, he was a doctor, a medical doctor. And uh, he had, they'd become members of our church and uh, oh, just great people. But I remember we'd, our fifth child was stillborn. And it really hit us hard. Um, and, and I remember I, it, Stan had been away in, in Ottawa at Parliament. But a couple of weeks later he was back and I came into the the lobby of the uh, of the church after I preached and and he was there and he just looked at me He didn't say anything he put his arms around me and I wept it was like like Jesus. Why? Well, seven years earlier. Stan had stepped out of his door out of his house to go to his practice in Twassen. He heard this car screeching down the street, almost out of control, and then there was a terrible sound of flesh hitting a car. Being a doctor, he ran. He got there. Just in time to pick up his little seven-year-old girl. And she died in his arms. Why was Stan so full of spiritual authority? Because he'd experienced suffering. Now... No, because he had not minimized it. He had not tried to escape it with work or drink or drugs or sex. He had been willing to go to that dark place with nothing else but Jesus. And there, in that pain, alone with Jesus, he found comfort, he found grace, he found strength and he emerged a man of character and spiritual authority. So much so that there were times Stan didn't have to speak. So how does God make you a powerful storytelling witness? He blesses you with charm and personality. He makes you charismatic. He gives you a great education and makes you articulate. He makes you an extrovert. Somebody said, there's actually a Catholic priest, who's a friend of mine, I've always laughed at this. He says, oh, you evangelicals, he says, you always worship at the feet of the gifted extrovert. Now, <laughs> you didn't laugh, but I think that's hilarious. <laughs> He, does, he, he, he makes you these kind of, of, of people with profile? No. He allows you the crises and the tests and the experiences of life. And he's willing to meet you there if you will meet him there. No bypassing the crisis. No minimizing it. No devaluing the the awfulness of sin or the pain of suffering. I think there is a a wonderful spiritual discipline called lament that we need to come back to in our day and age. And when you don't know what to do, but you don't go to anywhere else but Him and you accept His grace and you find He is enough, then as humble, saved people, Character emerges. And with that character, spiritual authority marks your life so that your story resonates in a powerful way. You say, I don't have a story like that. Perhaps it's because you are one of the nice people The nice people tend to have gone through life minimizing or denying their needs and their sins. They try to go through life and control it themselves and have it the way they want. And I'm sad to say that many of us church people are like that. We polish our glittering images. We bypass our pain our decisions, our crises, and we fake it like all is well. So our stories are superficial and we are faking grace, not receiving it. I love the story of uh, a guy by the name of Cunningham. I don't even remember his first name, but he was speaking at one of the Billy Graham schools of evangelism that he used to have years ago. And he was telling the story of how he was, he was a Baptist pastor and how this couple wanted to join the church. It was a large drawing, very uh, wonderful, real, you know, one of those rich churches like this one. And he, uh, they were, he and the deacons were meeting with this couple. And uh, he could tell, he could tell, he was a pastor, he could tell they were nervous. Nervous as all get out. And so they, you know, put on a nice little bit of tea and some snacks and did their best to be, you know, entertaining, and, and, they, and they were, and they were kind and gracious, and, and so uh, Pastor Cunningham said, so um, hmm. tell us a little bit about yourselves. And th- so they, they said, well, we've been involved in church for many years, and we've done this, and we've done that, and we've, we've contributed this, and we've contributed that, and they went on, and like I said, he could tell they were nervous. They said, we just love this church. We want to be a part of it. And Cunningham, after they had talked for a while, says, I'm sorry, he says. I, 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 don't, I don't think uh, we can accept you. That's my And they, what? They said, what? He says, oh, no, no, no. He says, I, I think you're just too good for our church. And she looked at him and he looked at her. Tears came to their eyes. And they said, those things are true. But you've got to know that we have struggled with alcoholism in our family. You need to understand, we don't know where our kids are going. It's, we worry, are worried sick for them. We need, we need a church like this. Old Cunningham, wise old pastor he was, you know, he says, I think I made a mistake. He says, you folks will fit in here just fine. Just fine. (laughs) You see, my friends, People with powerful stories don't share so much out of their goodness and their correctness and their polished images. They don't share out of I've I've got it all together posture. People whose stories change lives are people who have not bypassed their brokenness, not bypassed their lament. They understand how much God has done for them They have met God in their deepest pit or their greatest crisis, and he has changed them. So what am I saying? Got to skip a whole bunch here. Got to get to the end. My friends, I started out saying we are called to be witnesses of Jesus. A witness tells the stories about what they have seen, felt, and experienced. They tell the stories of Christ's presence in their broken lives. They share from the platform of their defeats, not just their victories. They share from the platform of their sorrows, not just their joys. They tell the stories of such things as how Christ is changing their marriage and their family. How Christ is altering the way they speak and think. How peace is becoming a reality in their in their scared lives, how they are increasingly being delivered from frustrating and sometimes destructive habits and addictions. But these wonderful stories are only filled with spiritual authority when they are told from a posture of transparent humility. And my question to you this morning is simply this, are you such a witness? Oh, I'm not saying, can you get out there and wow people with stories? I'm asking, are you such a witness? To tell your full story means that you will probably look weak and fearful. I am a scared man, you have to know it. I'm terrified every time I preach. Are you willing to lay down the glittering image to show others the wonderful grace of Jesus? Are you willing to allow yourself to encounter the tests with Jesus? Or are you bypassing them with various means of escape? Just so you look good and so you have things under your control. Remember the words of God to Paul. That great apostle who was struggling with a thorn in his flesh. You remember how... He wanted God to take it away, this, 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 uh, what would you call it, this suffering, this pain, this, this thing that he couldn't control. And remember the answer? My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses in insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The power of story comes out of your brokenness, not your capacity and your power. By God's grace, May we be a transformative community, which that is the desire of all our hearts. May we be a transformative community, not because we are so good, but because we are transparent and humble enough to share the story of how deeply Jesus is saving and changing us. Amen.
0: Thank you, David. I feel very exposed as an extrovert personality (laughs) with a really nice temperament. You were going down, and it's good to hear. And we need to know that God takes each of our lives. Sometimes we need to maybe pause and uh, take stock of our stories. I did that once, looking at grief and loss. Maybe we are too quick to gloss over the things that we don't want to really think about, but they're there. And God can use it. It's part of our stories. So let's be honest with other people about how God meets us right there in the middle of our need. I want to read to you a doxology from Jude, but I'm going to ask you to stand. Go with this on your hearts and minds this week. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore, amen. Thanks for listening to our Stardust Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.